Welcome to the Practice DNA Podcast, where we interview leaders in the chiropractic profession about what excites them and what has helped make their practice great. Practice DNA is brought to you by Clear Health Media, your source for automated solutions for ethical new patient generation, patient retention, and increasing your practice revenue. Visit clearhealthmedia.com. So I'm very lucky to have on the call with me today uh, Dr. Anthony Coxon. He runs a uh, multi-doctor chiropractic clinic in Camberwell towards the centre of Melbourne. And in addition, he's also the current president of the Victorian branch of the Chiropractors Association of Australia. And he's also the co-host of another great chiropractic podcast called Backchat. So welcome to the call, Anthony. Good morning, Matt. Good to be here. That's great. Good. Well... Normally what I do is obviously we give a bit of an intro and, you know, explain to people who you are and, and so on. But can you just give me a little bit of background about yourself, about, you know, maybe what got you into chiropractic? What, what made you want to become a healthcare practitioner? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do that. Um, my first experience with chiropractic, I was a year 12 student. I think I was probably about halfway through my year 12 and uh, developed a torticollis, you know, probably studying, you know, um, incorrectly at the at the desk and uh, woke up one morning and couldn't move my neck. My mother had been to see a chiropractor on a, a number of occasions, but I really did not know what a chiropractor was. Um, so she took me along and uh, to, to a chiropractor in Baronia and uh, uh, Bruce Dobson, um, who's been around for a long, long time, he's actually retired now and I think his father, uh, his son rather, has taken over his practice. But he gave me my very first adjustment, and I just remember thinking, "Wow, this is pretty one spectacularly good," because I felt absolutely fantastic. But also, it was a, a rather weird experience. I, you know, like, as I said, I'd never uh, knew really what a chiropractor did. I was quite fascinated by their their whole approach, and I walked out of that um, office convinced that that's what I wanted to be. So it was really was quite um, it, it changed me completely. At that time, I think I was certainly interested in sports and certainly interested in health and medicine and those sort of things. But um, but I was really quite certain of what I wanted to do immediately after that experience, which was uh, which was quite life changing for me. So you sort of almost came to it fairly late in that a lot of chiropractors I speak to sort of get adjusted from the moment they're, they're born, um, but you, you got to it just before you really needed to apply. Absolutely. I just really literally just snuck in there and, in, and uh, I remember going to um, my, my first interview. I think I, I, there was, it was probably appropriate because I, it was almost like I'd just come off a high. You know, I was just like, wow, this is so good. I'm so interested in this. And, um, and, I, and I think that probably came across in my uh, interviews. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough to get in. I, I think I was the second youngest person in, in my year. I was uh, 17 and I didn't turn 18 until uh, middle March. Um, so yeah, and that was, that was the start of, start of my journey. Excellent. And then of course we had, uh, had Pitt and, uh, and um, that was a, you know, a, a great experience. You know, it was, uh, I think the school is, you know, RMIT is still a great school, but I think um, there was a, an ease of which the lecturers were able to work um, and probably a little bit less pressure on them back those days than there is today. Um, and yeah, from there straight into practice and um, haven't looked back since. Yes, I mean, tell me a bit about your current practice if you don't mind. You, you're you obviously practicing in Camberwell. How many doctors do you have working in your practice now? 
Uh, we, we have two chiropractors. We're, we're just we we pre, did have three up until um, uh, up until late last year, and when uh, Joanne finished up with us, and we probably do need a, um, a female chiropractor in as well. In fact, I'm having conversations with some people about that right now. So, but currently, it's just the two chiropractors, um, the one myotherapist and the two remedial massage therapists. So, uh, our setup is that um, I've worked in a few practices over the years. Um, Probably three main ones. Um, I, when I first graduated, I was uh, in Keysborough with Kevin Albrick, and we had uh, a great little practice out there for uh, just, I think, a little bit over seven years. And I guess I must have had the seven-year itch, and it was time for me to sort of um, move on. And I moved into town and worked with um, um, Joe Hashem, um, who went on, as some people might uh, know, to, to win $10 million playing uh, Texas Hold'em. So uh, he's done pretty well in his uh, life. <laughs> After chiropractic, yep. um, and uh, and then I was only uh, at the Armadale practice for a short time, and then moved uh, basically my client base. Um, I just I purchased a small portion of that practice, so I moved that practice to my current location in Camberwell. So um, uh, so we have a uh, an old uh, sort of circa nineteen twenties building that was the State Bank of Victoria for a long period of time, and um, we um, practice where the bank used to be. And uh, live where the bank manager used to live, and um, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a great a great setup for us. Oh, it sounds excellent. What was your biggest challenge that you faced when you actually went out on your own in terms of building the practice? Um, as far as the Camberwell practice is concerned, I was already uh, I guess how long have I been in practice? Uh, so I'd been in practice about ten years when I came uh, to Camberwell, and we've been here for fifteen years now. So I was already. An experienced uh, chiropractor, I guess. Um, at that particular time, we'd we'd bought the building, and just uh, I think nine months earlier, we'd also bought another property in Sorrento. So <laughs> the biggest uh, challenge was certainly a financial one. Uh, I do remember, um, you know, lying in bed uh, at least a couple of times in uh, in that first month or so of practice, thinking, "Gee, I hope I've got a busy day tomorrow because uh, you know the." Uh, Payments are due at the end of the, uh, this month, and uh, right now the bank balance doesn't look so good. So, um, so I think I when when I was at Keysborough, we had sort of quite a, a, a you know a, a good strong you know year by year growing practice, and um, and I think uh, you know, profit was also well well ahead of expenses at that time. And then Armadale I bought into, which was a, a much smaller sort of practice, or at least my portion of it was, uh, and so that was a slow build uh, from there. Um, so. So I guess just getting the wheels in motion, uh, really, um, you know, I, I sort of committed to a bigger idea of what I wanted, you know, in my life and for my practice. So, um, you know, the practice had to, you know, raise up to that level. So it was a little bit stressful early on, but um, eventually we certainly got things going. I think that's an interesting uh, point in that quite often, particularly new graduates, expect to be able to come out and, and land on their feet straight away. and. Um, while they certainly can do that, I think you need to be prepared that you're potentially going to have a, some hard work ahead of you uh, in the first couple of years, maybe a few stressful years in terms of actually getting things going and meeting your financial obligations and so forth and, and to not be daunted by that. I absolutely, and I think in the early days, in the early days for me, it was actually probably a little bit easier because you've lived life as a student for you know quite yes. some time, and uh, I remember um, I did a locum for Michael Bay um, in Vermont um, 
that must have been in. I reckon I was only in practice for about uh, two or three weeks, and he was away for you know I think three weeks or something. I've done I've done a little bit of my field work or in pillars it's called now uh, with with him, and um, and I remember getting paid at the end of that period of time, and um, you know I I, I was actually. I had more money in my hand than I, than I think I'd ever had before. So, so when you're a poor student and you know, scrapping on you know whatever you can um, manage just to make ends meet, to suddenly actually get any kind of income is just you know amazingly good. So I think as long as people are smart um, and, and sort of you know financially savvy, don't go too crazy early on, don't expect too much, you're, you're really the first couple of years, you're, you're there to learn and grow and develop both as a person and a practitioner and um, it's not the time, I don't think, to be putting yourself under too much financial pressure. Um, for me, when I went to Campbell, it was a little bit different because I'd been in practice 10 years and, you know, um, I think you go through life um, where you'll really stretch yourself you know, and challenge yourself and then you'll grow into that challenge and then you'll stretch yourself again and you'll grow into that challenge. I think coming straight out of um, out of uh, college years, and it might be different to, for, say, a mature age student, but certainly for me, I was only 22, I looked 16, you know, I, I really just needed to, um, I'd stretched enough and I really just needed to grow into that and it wasn't the time to add, you know, additional final pressure by, financial pressure rather by trying to do something too crazy. No, I think that's that's really good advice. Did you pick up any good poker skills when you were working uh, in the city practice? No, no, actually, no. I didn't even realise. I knew um, uh, that Joe liked uh, to gamble whenever. Uh, and like I said, I was only um, at the Armadale practice for I think eighteen months before I moved it across to to, um, to Campbell. But I but I think we had twice we had. Um, uh, you know, practice functions and took the uh, the CAs and everything out, and both times it was into the casino, um, you know, to the restaurants and then to the. Uh, so I just thought he was just into it a little bit, but his story is really interesting. I don't know if you know it. He um, he actually became quite uh, uh, unwell and had a disorder, and I'm not. I, I sort of lost touch with Joe a little bit, so I don't even know exactly what the disorder is. This was about a, a year or eighteen months after I'd left, and basically he. Um, we get a lot of severe joint pain and had to actually stop practicing as a chiropractor. And as I understand, he went on to do mortgage broking and because he always gambled and just did a little bit of that, he um, entered an online tournament, won that, got a place at Las Vegas and uh, the next thing I, I know, I'm driving in my car one morning, I'm hearing Joe this, Joe that, won $10 million. I didn't hear his surname but I thought for some reason just instinctively thought, can't be Joe, can't be. <laughs> Pulled into uh, the local cafe opened up on uh, the, uh, the Herald Sun and there he was with an Australian flag around his shoulders and uh, $10 million of cash sitting right in front of him. So not, not the story that most um, you know, chiropractic students and young chiropractors out there will, uh, will be able to emulate, um, nor should I think they try, but uh, it was a great story for him. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's certainly one to tell the grandkids, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, my, wife, my wife since then has encouraged me into, uh, into gambling, but it's, uh, but it's just with my, my brother and my mates. Uh, I don't think okay. I'm good enough to go beyond that. No, she's, she's hoping for that 10 million windfall, is she? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Good. Well, can I just uh, ask you, what do you feel, I know we've sort of touched on some of the challenges facing new chiropractors, but do you think there's any really big uh, challenges that are facing new chiropractors when they're coming out today that perhaps 
weren't present maybe 10 years ago or when you graduated or, or something like that? Well, I think uh, I, we had um, just recently the um, Get Connected seminar for, for, for new graduates. So um, this is basically looking at the, the one to five year out um, chiropractors and had a bunch of uh, experienced chiropractors uh, giving their insights into these sorts of things and pretty much attempting to answer the question you just asked uh, me just then. And one of the things that, um, that I talked about at that seminar was how I graduated in 1990. Um, I think you're a similar I think I might be a little bit older than you, but not by too much. Uh, but you, you would probably remember, you know, um, uh, the Mead report uh, that came out in in the UK and um, published in the British Medical Journal. It basically had, um, you know, a medical researcher coming out and saying that, you know, people with low back pain should be seeing chiropractors, uh, and um, chiropractic care is more effective than traditional medical care or, or, or physical therapy. And then I think uh, I think it might have been the year before, 90, I think that was 94 or 95, and then in 93 there was the Manga Report um, out of Ontario in, in, um, in Canada. Once again, another independently funded uh, report into low back pain, and said essentially the same thing, you know, people should be seeing chiropractors um, and that should be the first line um, of care uh, for people with these sorts of problems, uh, at least with respect to low back pain. So I think when I came into practice, uh, it was the, the, uh, the chiropractic profession was in a very buoyant state. It was almost that mm -hmm. feeling that, that we were a good idea whose time had come and, um, and there was a lot of positive energy around uh, these sorts of things. Now, if we contrast that with today, you know, we don't have Pran Manga and we don't have, um, you know, Dr. Mead, you know, we have uh, the Friends of Science and Medicine. So it's a, it's a, a much more, I think, um, a negative political environment that surrounds chiropractic uh, at this particular stage. So, so that makes it a little bit tough. I mean, when I was uh, first graduating, there was still, you know, some degree of a antipathy from some people towards chiropractic. You get the occasional person at the at the dinner party who uh, you know would say, "I don't believe in chiropractic," or you know, which I always found as an interesting statement. I said, "Well, do you believe in accountants?" You know, you know, yes. well, what's there's nothing to believe here. You know, here I am. I'm a chiropractor, and this is what I do. But um, but I think there's there's definitely definitely more challenges for some of the younger graduates today in terms of um, Developing a self-esteem within uh, within the profession, um, I think that uh, that these things are a little bit cyclical. I, I think that um, you know, friends in science in medicine, albeit to say that it's certainly not scientific. That they've been, you know, um, that they've that what they say. Um, this the problem is that there's some truth to it, and, and chiropractors, I think, really have to own that. And I think part of the reason for the cycle. Uh, is that um, in in a way chiropractic needs to clean up its act? I think that that friends of science have been unfair and vicious to the profession and 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 certainly overstepped the mark, you know, tenfold. But when we look at some of the websites that they can drag up as examples of chiropractic, and mind you, they're you know few and far between, especially now. But you look at them and go, hmm, you know. That really shouldn't be on a chiropractic website, you know. That's just, um, you know, it's it's totally unscientific, um, and it's just really, you know, fodder for, for for people who might want to, um, you know, work against chiropractors. So, so I think in the long term, in the long term, I think things will get much better. I think they already are. I don't, I don't want to uh, put too much doom and gloom on this a, at all, but 
you know, suffice to say that Friends of Science and Medicine have had an impact. Um, but for the profession in the long term, it might even be a positive one. And I, I'm still very, uh, you know, very positive about the future of chiropractic and for, for, for young professionals. So I think they just need to hang tough a little bit, um, do what's always been very important, and that's just uh, about sort of being the best chiropractor you can be, to be you know, intellectually honest, uh, to, to, to serve your patients well, and, you know, if you have a passion for chiropractic, then, you know, practices will definitely grow. Yes, no, I would agree. I think um, I think it's very interesting points what you're saying there. I think the uh, the friends of science and medicine thing uh, could potentially be very beneficial for the, the profession, like you say, to help us clean up our, our act. Um, and in some ways, uh, there's that saying, isn't there, I think that you're judged by the strength of your enemies. I, th I think it may have even been a Bond film that it came from. Um, right. Yes. I and, like the quote. Very good. Yes. And, you know, obviously, you know, these, these guys are, are feeling some sort of challenge from our profession in order to put so much effort into discrediting us. Absolutely. If we were an insignificant blimp, and, and I think that's what we might have been at some stage, we, we, we now have, I think chiropractic is now mainstream. We have a lot of people that see chiropractors and I think most people, while you, while you certainly still will get some negative comments, a lot of people speak of chiropractors very, very positively um, and we see it in practice all the time. So, so yes, I think because we are a far more significant player in the health market now, then, then yes, we have obviously attracted a more, more negative attention for that reason. In terms of, uh, I mean, you touched briefly on the internet aspect there. Do you, how do you um, go about marketing your practice using digital methods? Obviously, you have a practice website. Do you do much beyond that? Uh, we do. Look, I, I used to write um, the articles um, uh, uh, for, for, a, for a chiropractic newsletter uh, for, for, for many years. So I've, I've sort of... Um, taken that sort of skill that I've developed over time and just uh, started to write blogs uh, for the practice. Um, so that, that's been a good experience. So we try, um, try and release these blogs uh, every uh, two weeks. In fact, I'm just about to release the, the, the next one today. Um, the, the sort of website provider that we use, um, they do write their own, you know, uh, you know the, a generic blog. And I think this is one of the things that... Um, uh, there's an art to writing and I wasn't a good writer to, to, to start with um, and I've learned how to improve that skill over time. Um, but I think some of the generic things, you know, can be really good but they don't really, I was never really satisfied uh, with them because um, like you, I've um, have the diplomat in neurology and um, and I have, I, I guess, um, some strings to my bow that I now that I didn't have when I was younger. I didn't think that the um, generic um, blogs really represented what I wanted to say uh, or represented me as a chiropractor. So, so yes, I, I've taken that uh, that on, and I think that's a great um, a great way to introduce yourself to uh, people outside of your practice. Uh, so, you know, when doing talks, you can offer to, for people to be on a mailing list to receive blogs, uh, you know, health-related blogs and which ways they can uh, improve their vitality and well-being. And I think that's, you know, that's certainly been a, a really good thing. It's been new for, uh, for me so uh, in terms of doing it this way. So um, does it make a massive difference in the practice? I don't think any of this thing stuff does. I think it's just now, now because it's you know, out there, everyone's uh, looking at this sort of stuff. It's it's rather than being uh, just the um, the cream 
on the top of the cake. I think it's just a, it's a must-have. Uh, you have to have a digital presence, uh, but it's not the it's not what it all it takes to be to be a great chiropractor. I think there are things that happen within the four walls of your practice that will always make much 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 bigger difference than what sort of um, you know nice shiny image you put on onto Facebook. The way I tend to explain it with our clients is that we want to be having strategies in place that are going to get people into practice in the first place and then it very much becomes your responsibility to convert and maintain those people within your practice once you actually get there. You know, obviously there's the whole word of mouth aspect and you can automate that to a certain degree but that's going to be dependent on your internal systems and how you run your practice and so forth as well because you know, eventually, if you if you run an awful practice, it doesn't matter how many people you've got coming through your website. Word's going to get around, and and that's going to work against you. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that um, just having it, you really have to set up your practice systems also, and use a lot of the digital media to better serve your existing patients as well. Mm. So, for example, um, when I recommend an exercise. Uh, uh, to, to someone, I'll then email them that exercise and the software's uh, set up. We, we use um, Steve Sexton's uh, visit-based software. It, it's a set up to make that whole process really easy. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think, um, you know, that if you've got systems like this in place, you can improve patient compliance with exercises. I think generally that patient compliance with exercise is still poor. <laughs> uh, it's one of the ongoing challenges. Yeah. But, uh, but, um, but I think, you know, you, you put it into place, it's very professional um, and, you know, just, I guess, gives the patient or you the best opportunity to encourage that patient to, uh, to do what, you know, what you want them to do as far as follow-up exercise or, or home advice. Yes, it's interesting that you're, uh, you're probably one of the few practitioners I've ever come across that actually write their own blog posts. We, we tend to find that a lot of people are very keen to do it, but very rarely have the time, and that's why we usually do it for them when we're doing the marketing. Um, yes, yep. like, like I said before, if you've got, if you've got the, it's, a, it's much better to have something going out you know, on a regular basis that is written by you know, in a professional way, yeah. and, and look, let's face it, it does, I, I, I used, um, on our website, we used the, um, uh, our providers' uh, blogs for, for many years, and it was fine, I guess it was just, I mean, I had a skill there, I wanted to develop the skill further, and so that suited me, but I, I don't expect uh, um, that most chiropractors will, will want to or have the inclination to do that. No, no, exactly. It's um, it's interesting you bring up a point which I think a lot of chiropractors probably aren't aware of when you're talking about website content. Um, in the Google has in place certain algorithms to determine whether or not content is original on your website. And if you are subscribing to one of these services that just produces generic content and puts it on your site and they've put it on 200 other chiropractic sites as well, um, in yeah, Google, right. Yes, in Google's eyes, it's effectively saying that, well, your content, your website doesn't have anything new, it's not particularly relevant, and so we won't bother ranking you well in the search engines, and so potentially okay. you're going to reduce your catchment area on the internet. So, so the way you're going about it is about the best way to do it, in that you have personalized right. content coming from you on a regular basis that is totally unique um, and is ending up on your website rather than anybody else's. So, so well done. Keep it up. Well, thank you. This, this is turning into, out to be a uh, IT consultancy uh, uh, for me as well as uh, just a podcast interview. This is great. I'm enjoying the feedback. Yeah, excellent. No, that's good. No problem. 
Good. Uh, now, we've obviously we've chatted about the challenges facing new chiropractors. Do you feel that there are unique challenges that face older chiropractors that may have been in practice sort of 15, 20, 25 plus years that are obviously... Uh, yeah, go on. Sorry, go on. Yes. Yeah, yeah de definitely. Definitely. And I'd say the um, by far the number one is that um, they lose the drive and passion, um, that it becomes mundane, that, they, that it becomes a real job. Um, rather than uh, you know uh, an, uh, an experience that they just can't wait to get in there. I, you know, when I was young, and as anyone I think who's been in um, at uni for five years, if they've enjoyed the the, the teaching experience, the learning experience um, uh, of being a student, then almost always that there might be um, some anxiety or trepidation about moving into the profession, but there is you know. Behind that, there's also a great deal of excitement, and I think that um, you improve exponentially as as a chiropractor um, in those first few years. There's no doubt about it. You know, my my adjusting skills, you know, you know, one or two months out was uh, was not nearly as good as it was, you know, one or two years out. Um, so there was an enormous growth. You start with you know no patients, and then you know to have a week where you see 20 patients is like wow, I saw 20 patients this week, and you know. For us, that might seem small and insignificant, but at the time, you know, that was more, you know, four times more patients than I'd seen in a week, just about. Um, so, yeah. so that that growth, you know, when you're in a growth stage and that's natural for that to happen in the early days, that's that's pretty exciting. Um, and I think, uh, I think uh, I must have done, I'd say, a seminar every month at least. I, I just. And probably, actually, I did too many, but I, but uh, because I don't think I retained from one to the other uh, very well. But but I just threw myself in there. I I went and experienced absolutely everything and did uh, any amount of seminars and was just uh, appreciative of the of the experience and the opportunity to to grow and learn. And then I think you get to a certain stage in practice where um, you know you've you, you've done all that stuff before, and um, and yes, there's new information coming out all the time. But maybe after a while, you get you know, you get to have children and then you get to have to buy a house and then you get into, you know, having to, to rather than the money that you earn is just, wow, this is fantastic and what will I spend it on? It's now it's like, well, I need to have that income because I need to pay that house mortgage or, or household bills or send my children to, you know, private school or whatever it might be. Um, and I think some of the, the luster comes off, um, the, you know, your love for chiropractic. So, um, and I experienced that um, to some degree in the sort of uh, probably after about the 15-year mark, I think. And actually the, the thing that helped uh, turn it around for me was certainly um, uh, going on and doing chiropractic neurology course. So I really felt like um, I needed an academic challenge. I sort of felt like I would been I'd been practicing chiropractic for quite a while, but was no smarter than what I was, you know, when I graduated, sort of thing. Um, and you know, as much as I'd done many seminars and learned many, um, you know, great ways to you know perform adjustments and these sorts of things, I'd never really been challenged in a way that I needed to be challenged. So I, um, I think I came into the um, neurology course was third module in. I'd missed the first two and it really was I wasn't at all ready for it, but I just kind of did it anyway. And it took me a while to get up to speed with it all. But I think that was certainly something that reignited my passion for, for chiropractic because it was sort of now looking at it at a, at a deeper level, a more cerebral level. And I just sort of felt like um, 
I had a lot, even if I wasn't practicing so much in a chiropractic neurology perspective, I just, it just gave me a whole lot more confidence in understanding what's happening with patients, confidence in communicating with other health professionals. And uh, yeah, so I think it doesn't necessarily have to be a course like that, but I think um, for anyone who's been in practice for a while, you've got to not so much reinvent yourself, but you've got to challenge yourself. You know, you've got to sort of, you know, uh, push yourself a little bit to the edge. Uh, like I was saying but, uh, before, you know, it's about, you know, creating a challenge and then growing into that challenge. And, some, and I, I think I'd had a long period within the, profe- within the profession where I hadn't created, you know, a tough enough challenge for myself that, would, that I really got inspired by. So, so that was really good for me. Um, I suppose I'd, I'd like to sort of uh, ask your thoughts about what sort of inspired you and uh, Paul Bergamo to start your Backchat podcast because um, mm-hmm. users, uh, listeners rather who aren't uh, familiar with it, the Backchat podcast is, well, maybe I should let you explain a little bit about what the Backchat podcast is. That might be better. Sure. Well, well, in yes. terms of who inspired it, I, I can't take any credit for that except uh, – Paul Bergamo, he was he was certainly had his eyes on on doing that um, uh, well before I did, um, and uh, yeah, he just basically invited me along. We sort of talked about some things that we might do together in terms of helping each other with our practice, and just in a few areas, he was coming on to the um, the chiropractic uh, association Victorian branch board, um, and and of course I was going on as president at the time that he was going on uh, coming on, so. Uh, we had we were you know sitting in a lot of the same meetings and those sorts of things, um, and I guess because I'd had a fair bit of experience with public speaking um, and we knew each other fairly well, that uh, he sort of envisaged this idea about uh, interviewing a whole range of um, you know health professionals that are experts in the field, not necessarily just chiropractors, um, and sort of felt the you know that host co-host sort of model would work better than just a um, uh, host only so so yes we we've done i think we've po- uh, now uh, have up on itunes five podcasts um and there's another four that we have that we'll sort of be releasing o- over time the um the most probably exciting one we did was um, our interviews with uh, professor carrick uh, professor ted carrick on uh, just the weekend just gone um and of course, he's in Cape Canaveral, so the, I think the process started at about uh, I was at eleven o'clock on a Friday night and finished at about uh, quarter past two on a Friday morning. <laughs> and I was practicing in Saturday, and uh, and had my daughter's eighteenth um, birthday on Saturday night. So uh, suffice to say, I was uh, pretty buggered by uh, by Sunday. But um, but yeah, uh, uh, Ted Carrick's podcast is, will be a three stage podcast. So basically, looking at the past, present, and future for chiropractic neurology. Uh, and for chiropractic profession at large, so that was that was really fantastic. But um, but yeah, look, I've really enjoyed actually interviewing the, the non chiropractors as well. So and really interested in how, say, for example, two of the people that we've inter- uh, interviewed have been GPs, um, Margaret Beavis, who teaches um, medicine at, at at Melbourne Uni, and she's also a researcher at Deakin. Um, she's done a lot of really interesting research into exercise and um, and how accessibility to public transport influences people's um, walking times and hence, you know, risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes and, and obesity. Um, and also uh, Tanya Ash, who's an integrative GP uh, in Paran, and she does a, a lot of work on, um, uh, on molds and Lyme disease and, and, you know, almost 
universally that's their, their, their patients fit into those two categories. So some really interesting people um, who, you know, I think as a chiropractic profession we've lived in silos way too long. Um, it's really nice and refreshing to get views from other people and they're not they're not the sort of views that I think some chiropractors might have of you know of medical practitioners. They're a lot more open than than you think when you get talking to them on, on that right level. Yes, I think uh, particularly when you find like-minded individuals in a, a, a different profession, it can be a real real eye opener in some ways, and and quite a wonderful experience to to feel that you're not just in that chiropractic silo, like you like you say. Absolutely. I think really this is one, uh, I think the next step for, for our profession is certainly to uh, collaborate more with other health professionals. John Kelly, a chiropractor in Sydney, um, once said that if, um, if chiropractic as a profession, if chiropractic was a, uh, a kindergarten student, then the, uh, the report card would, re would read strong, independent, resourceful, but doesn't play well with others. Um, <laughs> So, um, so, so I think we need to play play a little bit better with others, definitely. Yes, yes, and I think um, you know it's it's only for the benefit of our patients as well when we can operate in that multidisciplinary environment in a good way. And and I think one of the things that makes us a target uh, for people like friends of science in medicine is that we live in silos. You know that we're misunderstood, that we don't um, integrate, communicate, and collaborate. In the way that we should with other health professionals, so you know that you you can um, some sometimes the um, you know the best form of defence is, is you know get to know your enemy uh, and find out gee they're not really our enemy. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once you scrape away that veneer of politics, we're all all human beings. And um, one thing that really came home to me when I was in hospital we were having uh, having our children over the years is that you know no healthcare professional is there to muck up their patients they all believe that they're doing the best thing for their patients and that's what motivates them and inspires them they have different philosophies but that's the the underlying absolutely story. i think yeah I, I think at heart anyone who enters just about any health profession um wants to do good by people and um, you know of course there are exceptions but the exceptions I think are small and they're, they're no more within chiropractic than within any other profession so um, you know I think you're going to meet a lot of you know very positive people that are in the health industry and um, we do, I think it's important for us to uh, to communicate with them and to communicate them in the language that they understand um, and communicate them in a way that is that sort of will make sense for them and us so uh, yeah, that's our challenge, uh, but that's certainly something that um, that I see the profession moving towards. Good, yes. Well, hopefully, fingers crossed, that would be a, a wonderful thing. Um, just in, in winding up, can you suggest maybe a resource that has been particularly beneficial for you, like a book or something apart from the Backchat podcast, obviously, because that goes without saying. Sure. Um, but yeah, yep. something which you feel would, would benefit other practitioners to either read or listen to or, or something else. Look, I think one of the for, the, for the younger chiropractors especially, uh, yes, look, there's lots of great books, there's great podcasts, there's all those sorts of things uh, out there. But um, one really, I think, underutilized resource is to get a mentor. Um, and in fact, the Chiropractic Association in Victoria have a mentorship program where they match up uh, young chiropractors and, uh, and senior chiropractic students with professionals of similar interest. So, um, you know, I think just to be able to, um, 
and we've had a, a general talk today that hopefully some people out there will, will get some um, usefulness from. But but I think um, when it comes to talking about your you know an individual's needs and challenges to to, to be able to have a um, a sympathetic ear. Uh, to chat through and, and to and to develop strategies away in getting the most out of your chiropractic career and your life personally, really, I think um, having a mentor is a really fantastic thing. And and that mentor uh, shouldn't be your, your principal chiropractor if you're working for another chiropractor. Of course, you you know uh, I got um, when I worked for Kevin Albrick in in um, in Keysborough, I learned a lot from him. Um, but I think your your mentor should be someone who's separate from you from your practice, uh, and it doesn't actually even have to necessarily be a chiropractor, by the way. Um, but but having but uh, you know utilizing the, the the experience and knowledge of someone more senior than you, or maybe if they have a specialist knowledge, someone junior than you. Um, I think that's really really important, and you know for 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 a um, someone being mentored to understand that. Two things. One is that um, that you would respect the um, uh, the time and the knowledge of uh, of your mentor, but also understand that um, when people reach a certain stage in their uh, career, there there's a need for someone to be a mentor just as much as a need for someone to be a mentee. So uh, so don't think that you're you know totally being a sycophant if you're um, you know spending time and asking questions and doing all these things that the, the person doing the mentoring is getting as much out of it typically as you are so you know re respect their time um, respect their um, their wisdom but uh, understand that yeah if you've got the right sort of connection they're probably getting as much out of the experience as you are Yes, that's certainly been my experience as well. I know when I've done teaching with students, I I do get as much out of it as as the students in many ways, and um, certainly uh, I found most people more than generous and more than willing to actually share their knowledge and share their time in any field, not just in chiropractic, but if you have a particular mentor that you're looking in, you know, marketing your practice or you know a particular personal aspect of your life. People people like to give. They like to be appreciated. They like to have their knowledge um, validated, in effect, by somebody else. I think, and I, I think you're you're very right there. It keeps us on our toes. That's for sure. Absolutely, that's for sure. Good. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Anthony. I really appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners have uh, really appreciated this. You've been very generous with this, uh, and uh, great to have you on. Thanks, Matt. It was a pleasure and uh, good luck with your podcast. I think it's a great way for people to access uh, this kind of information. So well done for doing the great job you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit practicedna.com and sign up to receive transcripts of the episodes and other subscriber-only resources. This has been a production by Clear Health Media.